Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Chisme podcast, a podcast created to share the stories of everyday people doing remarkable things in communities of color, all while sipping on a glass of wine. In this episode, I get the chance to speak with my friend, Jesse Medina. Jesse is the founder and CEO of several businesses, including, wait for it, Femme Latinas, Femgency, Femex Podcasts, and of course, Femex Quarters, a co-working and event space located in the hills of San Diego. Her mission is to create a positive impact by being a motivational and loving leader and to inspire women to overcome their fear and follow their dreams. Although I consider myself a good friend of Jesse's, I was still surprised to hear so many things that she revealed throughout her interview. Just so you know, this interview was recorded before we were made aware of COVID-19 and the requirement of social distancing. So it's kind of weird that this interview feels a world away now, but I'm so glad you're here and ready to listen. So grab your glass of wine and join us for the chisme. We have Jessica and Jessica. Well, yes. but we say she's Jesse, I'm Jessica, or Jay. I'm yeah. super happy to have you here today. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. I know. This is like a totally different interaction for us. <laughs> yes. So I've not told. So I helped Jesse with some of her public relations and media training. So we have not discussed any of the questions. Nope. She has no <laughs> idea what I'm going to talk to her about. She's just. She trusts me that much. Oh, oh my. I'm like nervous laughing already. <laughs> Don't be nervous. Okay, so you guys all know by now, before we get to the chisme, we have to get to the wine. Yes. So if you are not aware, Jesse is originally from Argentina. Woo-woo. So of course, in honor of her being from Argentina, I picked up a Malbec. Which is from my hometown, by Mendoza. The way. Thank you so much. Yes. So we have an Alamos Malbec from obviously from Mendoza, 2018. So, salud. Let's salud. take a drink. I've actually been to that winery. Too. Oh, have you? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's good. Yes, it's really, really good. I there honestly has not been a wine that I haven't liked yet. If you guys hear anything in the background, we have both of our dogs here and our babies. Yes. So just an FYI. Um, so again, I've been getting most of the wines at Trader Joe's because they actually have a very good selection of wine. Mm-hmm. And I got this Alamos wine for $7.99. Wow. Yes. That's a good thing about Mendoza wine. It's cheap, but it's not cheap tasting. No. I love that. Exactly. So, all right, Jesse, you ready? We got to the wine. Are you ready to I get to the call me down now. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the wine helps with that. Yeah. The wine helps with that. So, 
Jesse, so originally, we say you're originally from Argentina. Mm-hmm. How was it when you grew like, how was your life? Describe your life growing up in Argentina. Um, you know, as a kid, I cannot complain. I had a really good childhood. I loved spending time with my grandparents. I had a lot of friends. Uh, but, you know, we were poor. Like, we did grow up with a lot of challenges. You know, I I still always felt like a happy kid. I never was that kid that was, like, sad. I was always happy. I always had a lot of friends. But I do remember the challenges that you go through. My mom was, you know, separated from my dad. And my dad is amazing, but he wasn't necessarily very responsible. So she, it was the burden was on her to provide for us. So she worked a lot. We spent a lot of time with my, our grandparents. And, and I love that, too, because I learned how to cook from my grandma. You know, I had a lot of good experiences. But I do remember having moments when I was like, I want to be with my mom. Like, why does she work so much? Or, you know, like, I miss her. You know, just moments like that. And I do remember that struggle of, like, the single mom kind of thing. Yeah. So your family decided to move mm-hmm. to the United States. Yes. To Utah, of all places. <laughs> I know. I was like, where is that? When, <laughs> when you were 14. Yes. So how was that? Because it's not like you were a little kid. And actually, la- the... One of the podcasts I had was Aurea, and she moved here from Mexico when she was 13. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about how that experience, you know, you know what's happening when you're a teenager. Yes. So you're 14 years old. You're pretty much your high school. Mm-hmm. How was that experience moving from, like, picking up everything you know and moving to the States? I was not happy at the time. I think that was the only time where, like, I kind of, like, questioned my mom. And, you know, I became that teen that yelled and was like, why? Why are we doing this? I didn't want to move because of my family and my dad and, and my friends. But um, coming to Utah especially was hard. You know, it was all, like, Caucasian at the time. Like, you didn't see a lot of diversity. I remember the, like, I didn't know the language, you know. So um, on top of that, I think as an immigrant, uh, when you're young, and I know that a lot of dreamers can relate to this, a lot falls on you. Like your parents, you start learning the language and your parents kind of rely on you for things. Like now you're an interpreter. Now you need to read instructions about this and that. Like, so you can't just be a teen kind of thing. Like now you have to take a lot more responsibility. And I was the oldest too. I am the oldest. And so I think that at first I wasn't happy and I was annoyed <laughs> that we moved here, but now I am so grateful and it didn't take long for me to be grateful about it. It was like, honestly, like right away, like after three, four months, I started like assimilating into the culture and I enjoyed being here. Uh, but I did get bullied. I got bullied for being Argentinian, really like that, you know, the the few uh, Latinos at the time in the ESL class that I was in, they were like the cholas, you know, like literally they were cholas, you know, mm-hmm. and they just for whatever reason didn't like Argentinians. They told me straight up, like, we don't like Argentinians. So, you know, I had a really hard time understanding, like, even why. Like, I didn't have any perspective on culture or, like, why they could potentially not like, you know, me or whatever. So, I, to me, I was just always sad at first for, like, a year or, or so until I started making friends and assimilating into the culture and learning the language. So, um, how did you learn the language? I, I think one of the motivators was to get out of the ESL class, honestly. I wanted to bullied. get out. Yeah, I was being bullied. I was being threatened. Uh, obviously, the only few Latinos in Utah lived in the same little block. And so they're like, we know where you live. You know, we know where your family is. Like, they would threaten me. So I was like, if I get out of this class and I talk to the counselor and he's like, well, you can't get out of this class. Most most kids spend their entire high school years here because, you know, it takes time to learn the language. And I was like, 
I'm going to get out. And I, I am blessed with like a really high IQ. Like I was able to manage, you know, getting out. I tested out of that and I tested into honors English, like right away. You went, you went from ESL to yes, honors English? Yes. I mean, grammatically, right? Like I still had an accent, but I, I knew I learned the grammar. I started reading books. I started listening to English, everything. And, you know, I went to Honors English and I was like this nerd in school growing up anyway. So I loved the challenge and I started making new friends. And, you know, eventually I, I became really grateful. I graduated high school when I was 17. I went off to college in California. So like I did all this. I was very independent. And at that point, I realized why my mom brought me here and like all the opportunity that we have here. So I became extremely grateful to this country, to the people here. And I, you know, moving to California, I started meeting other cultures too, like other Latinos, like, and realized like we're all so different because we don't get that. We don't get to see that back down, down there in Argentina. It's like the most Southern country in the world. You know? So it's like, we're kind of like separated from everything. Right. So it was really good to, to, to experience the diversity and see the other angles and see like the different dynamics. And I actually now can speak like a Mexican. I can speak like a Puerto Rican. I can fake any accent because I get it, right? Like I get the culture. <laughs> I get the food. I It's it's a lot of fun. So you move. So you, hi, within three years, mm-hmm. you move here. You graduate early. Mm-hmm. You go from ESL to mm-hmm. Honors English. You graduate early. At what point did you know, like when you went to college, did you know what you wanted to do were you still to be honest first of all because this is a pivoting point for me I realized my status I didn't know what my status That's meant what I was gonna as ask an immigrant you. Uh-huh. you know I I came here learned the language I figured oh my gosh I got all these scholarships like private scholarships because I, I couldn't the first hit was like oh you can't apply for financial aid and my parents didn't have money you know mm-hmm. so I that hit me but then I was able to get scholarships but then I couldn't even though I get accepted into certain schools, the moment they realized I was a dreamer, they would not let me in. I couldn't go there. So I actually got accepted into really good schools, but I couldn't go to all these different schools. So I ended up going to a, a private school that, you know, they, they accepted me and they were okay with it. <clears throat> and I remember like it became something that I was afraid to like disclose because I became like stigmatized for it, you know? So I remember that was the first time where it's like, wow, like my intellect could take me to Harvard or like all these schools, but I can't because they do ask you like, okay, well, do you have a visa? Are you a citizen? Like, what's your status? So when you guys came <laughs> over, did you know, like, how did, what brought you guys over so, then into mm-hmm. Utah? Yeah. Because, and then obviously you find out mm-hmm. after you graduate or when you're about to graduate that you didn't have papers. Yeah. So tell me about navigating. Yeah. Through that and how you how you guys actually got here and everything. Yeah, so we came with a visa, and my mom had her brother there, so mm-hmm. he painted a picture like, "Oh, I can I can fix your papers, like I can employ your, you know, my stepdad, who you know they're married, he's married to my mom." So like it, he painted the picture so easy, like, "Oh, you're gonna come, you're gonna have a job immediately, you're gonna get papers, like everything's gonna be easy," and it was nothing like that. Like we actually. We moved here. We went into his house. He had us for like a month and then he kicked us out of the house because he went back with his wife. So what happened is he was feeling really lonely. So he wanted family here. But once he made up with his wife, like, it's like, oh, I don't need you guys anymore. So then like all of a sudden my stepdad had to find work. My little sister was only one month old. You know, it's Utah in the middle of the winter. We actually slept in the car for two nights before we found a way to find a place to live. Um, you know, my stepdad had money that was for like emergencies and we had to use it. We had to use the money that we had brought 
for like an emergency, like picturing down the road, we had to use it all of a sudden, like right away. So now he's like, I have to find a job because we're not going to have money in a month. You know, we we're, we're using our money. So it was like really a lot of crazy stuff and I could get into it. And I think that's where my faith, that's when I be- also started believing in God because that was my only hope. At the time as a teenager, I became suicidal. I started having suicidal thoughts and I was getting bullied and I didn't want to tell my parents because I already had so many problems, you know? So I, that's when I started turning to faith and like just prayer, you know, I would just say, okay, God, if you're there, whoever you are, like, I need your help. And that gave me hope and that like sustained me through like these teenage years. Um, and then things got better, you know, and I graduated and all that. And then um, college came and that's when it hit again like dang like why is like a stupid piece of paper like limiting like my options for colleges because I got ex- I could literally go to Harvard if I wanted to you know but I couldn't because of my status and that to me was so unfair so I think a lot of the times the stigma that people have against immigrants like we're like these bad people that come and commit crimes like I was like a model citizen you know like I was doing everything right I had a straight A's and to me it was just so unfair and I remember one time, for example, I, I was getting all jobs to be able to pay for college. And I had a friend who's American that she got financial aid and he she got a boob job with that. And like I remember that was something that really hit me. And like that I was must have been so frustrating. Went home and cried because I was like, oh my gosh, like all I'm asking is an opportunity to go to college and like be able to focus and not have to have these three odd jobs. And you know, here people are like not even appreciating it. So I I think it, it, looking back, I'm grateful for it because it gave me all the work ethic and the experience and one thing led to another. I ended up like really getting, you know, jobs that now I have the skills that I have because of those jobs. So I'm grateful that I started working early on, as, even as a teenager, but, you know, it was hard and we didn't have DACA at the time, which I think as hard as it is now for kids that have DACA, it's still hard, but you know, back then we didn't even have that. We were dreamers, you know, we were dreaming of something to come up to help us go to school. And I graduated without that ever being a reality. You know, that became a reality later on after I had finished college. So I had to like work my way through college and I had to like, you know, some some semesters only maybe take three classes because I couldn't pay for six or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. So, um, so it wasn't easy, but I'm really grateful for every single experience I had because it made me who I am now. Right. So while you were in school, I mean, that's I had no idea. See, I that's yeah. why I, I had no idea. Yeah. Like, and I know you, mm-hmm. and that's a lot of stuff to unpack at such a young age. Mm-hmm. So to be able to have. I mean, obviously now you're able to look back and appreciate that and reflect on yes. that. But how was it like, how, do you remember how that felt like in the moment, yes. in the time? Because <laughs> you're, obviously you can't get financial aid and you're like, well, crap, I have to work my butt off to go to school mm-hmm. and working three jobs and going to school full time. I mean, that's a full time, it's full time work, full time school. Mm-hmm. I understand I did that, yeah. but I was yeah. a lot older too. And mm-hmm. I know how exhausting that can be, but working three different kind of jobs having an undocumented status how were you able to find jobs that were you were able to pay to it had to be all jobs it had to be jobs that you know I was a server you know I was I once had a job that I didn't last very long I purposely left I think that was the first time that I ever quit a job but it was like we were packaging like frozen fish so basically if you've never been I I had never been in a place like that 
the f entire floor is flooded with ice water, like really cold water, because the entire place has to be refrigerated, like cold. So you're like, picture yourself being inside a refrigerator, flooded water, even if you have rain boots, like your feet are freezing. And here I am, like this like really straightest student, like right, with all this potential, packaging this fish with people that, you know, that don't speak English or like other people that maybe I get why they had no other options. But I was always, I think, mad and I've been able to forgive a lot of these things. But at that time, I was hurt. I didn't get it. I thought it was unfair, you know, but I don't, I don't think anybody deserves that. But at, at the time, I was like, why me? You know, like why do I have to go through this? And I, I remember there was one one of the moments that I one person that I still remember. It was a college counselor. And I remember I went in there because at that time they were telling me that they had to, you know, at that time they were telling me that we, that, you know, you can't go to school this semester because you're so old. Like I owed like 200 bucks to finish the payment before the semester started and I, I didn't have it. And then finally I convinced one person to let me talk to another person, another person. I talked to the head of the department or whoever, someone in the admission, you know, department or something or financial. And, you know, I went to him thinking he's going to understand. And when I walked in the office, it turns out he was an immigrant, too, because he had an accent. He was Asian, you know, and I, I felt relieved. I was like, oh, this guy's going to get me. He's an older male, you know, but I was like, he gets it. He's an immigrant. I can tell. And I told him my situation. And I at that time, I, I wouldn't tell people my situation, my mm -hmm. status. And so for me, that was a big step. But I was like, hey, maybe if I'm honest with this person, like, he'll help me. So I said, look, I cannot qualify for financial aid. Like, I just need some time. I have two jobs. And he's like, why can't you qualify? I told him I'm an immigrant. You know, I came here when I was young. Like, I'm, um, you know, undocumented. And he literally was like, then you leave the country. Then you should leave. And he was so cold about it. And and there was, like, no comment after that. Like, I, I remember I sat there, like, frozen, like, kind of, like, waiting. Like, maybe they're, like, he's going to, like, he's going somewhere with this. Like, oh, leave and you can do better things, whatever. Maybe he's going to turn into something nice. But it wasn't a nice comment. He, he was leave. being rude. He was, he was acting like he was better than me for because he had a status or whatever right so I remember I walked out I literally didn't say anything I couldn't I was frozen because I couldn't believe that came from this man and I remember I left and I went to the parking lot and I had this obnoxious red car at the time and I remember I just got in there and I was crying so much I was crying for like an hour in the parking lot like just thinking how unfair that was you know and I remember I thought you know what like I don't care what happens because I think that's that's one of the moments that I knew who I was so much like I, I knew where I was gonna get and I, I was like I one day I'm gonna be doing things way bigger than this guy's doing you know I'm gonna be places that this guy can't even dream of being and I just knew that big things were waiting for me even though at that time the reality of that time didn't really like show me that you know I, I just knew I'm like I'm gonna get far in life I don't care if I finish college or not or whatever my situation is one way or another I'm gonna figure it out and I'm gonna make it big and I always knew that and I had that certainty and in moments when I would break down and cry that would always come back to me and I think that's going back to knowing who you are and owning like your greatness which we all have but to be so young and to feel that and to know that I think that's something that people regardless of age they don't even have to be young or 20s 30s 40s I think a lot of people don't even realize or don't even have that opportunity. Yes, Coco, Coco is... Uh, he's my baby and he loves the attention. Yes, <laughs> he's crying for Jesse's attention. But just to know, to come out of that and have mm -hmm. that at, at such a young age, I think is really 
admirable because I had a situation when I was in high school where mm-hmm. a teacher called me a bimbo when I was a freshman oh, in high no. school. Yeah. And, but again, and I don't think I realized at the moment I was frustrated and everything, but then, but my reaction was like, bitch, I'm going to show you. Right. That, that's <laughs> pretty much what I was thinking. You know? <laughs> Not as eloquently right. as you put it, but right. I would get, I was a freshman right, in high school. Right. And I was like, uh-uh, I will show you. Right. Um. So I, how did you end up finding an internship? Because I know that yeah. internship mm-hmm. kind of turned into yes. something bigger. How did you navigate and find an internship while you were in school? And how did they work with your status? Yeah, so that was really, really interesting because I, for that internship, I had like three other options for an internship, right? Like we had to do it through school. That school was okay. So I ended up going back to Utah because California became really hard, really expensive. So I went back to Utah, went back to school there. And in Utah, they had a, a program that, like, if you graduated high school there, which I did, then you, even if you didn't have a status, you could still go to college, you could do all those things, right? So that's why I went back. And this is, like, my last year of, you know, college. And I technically what happened is I, you know, had these different options. And I remember one was a bank, and it was the biggest bank in Utah, but it was a bank. And I was like, I don't want to do, it was for social media. And I was like, I don't want to do social media for a bank. That's freaking boring, you know? <laughs> I, what am I going to post, you know? I'll get a credit card. So then, like, I had another one for a boutique, which was, like, my top choice. And then I had one for a gym chain, Gold's Gym. And I was like, you know what? Like, I really wanted to do the boutique one because I'm like, oh, it's girly, and we get to wear dresses and whatever. And I just remember, like, I went to both interviews, um, and then they all offered me the opportunity. And the gym one was the one that, for whatever reason, I it, they needed it. They needed social media help. And I don't know if you're familiar with that company, but it's like they, they were so old school, yeah. right? Everything was old school. And so... I just saw the challenge and I liked it. And I and I ended up, I remember being for a few days just trying to think of which one I wanted. But I just, I think listening to your intuition is so important. And like my intuition told me to go to that one, even though I really wanted like the dress one, right? Like that's going to be so cute, whatever. But it was a smaller company. You know, the other one was just a local small boutique. So I saw the opportunity and I felt like, you know what, there's a bigger challenge here with the gym. And I ended up taking that opportunity. And what happened is it turned out that they didn't have a program. They didn't have a social media person. They didn't have communications. They didn't have anything like that. So they're basically hiring an intern to be like, to, to, to manage yeah. something that it didn't even exist, right? So they, you know, in that opportunity, I've always been a go-getter. So I started seeing all the, the need for not just social media, but like before I came in, they would literally just delete comments. Like if someone said, oh, I'm not happy with the gym, whatever, they would just delete their comments. Oh, no. They would do so many bad things, right? The press would reach out and they, they would just ignore their emails and all those things that to me as a young person was like common sense, like you don't do that, right? So for those who are unaware of what you should and shouldn't do when it, as a business and social media, <laughs> the last thing you want to do is look like you're hiding something. And by right. deleting comments, right. by not getting back to media, mm-hmm. it looks like you have something to hide mm-hmm. and people can make big time assumptions, yeah. negative assumptions mm-hmm. based on just things that normal people wouldn't think. Right. If you're, you know, if somebody, you know, puts a bad comment, you'll be like, delete it, but right. you can't do that as a business. Mm-hmm. No. You have to be able to address it. Mm-hmm. Even if it's something as simple as, we're so sorry you feel right. that way. Please mm-hmm. reach out to us. We would love to help right. address your concerns. Mm-hmm. So go ahead, kids. So going. I started seeing the opportunity. And there's like a million stories I could tell you, like what they could have improved at the time. But 
I remember I told my boss who happened to be one of the executives, right? The, the CMO. And so like I had a chance to be working with someone that was higher up and he was somewhat young. He was only maybe like 15 years older than me. So he was better than the other guys in the executive office that were older, you know? So he kind of like was a little more open. So towards the end of my internship, he was really happy. And he asked me like, would you like to work here eventually? And I said, you know what? Yeah, I, I can see myself working here. And he said, okay, like, in his mind, he was still thinking like social media, but what I did, and at this time I was reading this book by uh, Seth Godin, which I totally recommend to anyone out there. Um, it's called The Lynchpin, and this book really pushed me to do more than just accept a job. You know, at that time I had so many ideas and I was afraid to tell my boss because I don't know, you know, you're just young. It's like, what if he doesn't care? But I remember reading that book and every chapter would speak to me like, you have to do something different. You have to stand out. You have to, you know, speak up. And so anyway, so because of that book, I always give credit to that book. It just really encouraged me to um, to go and like talk to my boss. And I said, look, I have a lot of ideas. You know, this is a, he's like, you know what? Put it in a plan, put it in a proposal. Come back to me on Monday and, and show me it. Now, at this time, I was taking 21 credits because I really just wanted to be over with school. Finish school. Oh, my gosh. That I had the internship. That's basically like two full-time yeah. schedules. Yeah. Like, I had to apply for I had to, like, request that to the dean and all that and get approved. But I wanted to just finish college. So I had 21 credits. I had a full-time job at the time, too. And I had the internship. Okay? Wow. So even then, I went home this weekend. And this is where hard work pays off. I went home and I put together a proposal for them. And it, this proposal had everything, like a plan that someone, a professional would put together of everything that they could do and the steps, the strategy, everything. Because I was in school for communication. So I did have, like, I didn't know how to put together a plan, strategic plan, all that. So I put it together. I go on Monday thinking, I'm going to present it to my boss, my young boss. Well, it turns out he had planned a meeting with all the executives. And I never got that memo. And I didn't realize it was going to be a presentation either. I thought I was going to sit in his office across from his desk and just present. It turns out he's like, oh, okay, we'll be in the conference room. Like, see you there. And I was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I actually remember this moment distinctly, too, because I used this technique after. This was the first time that I did it, and I didn't know it was a technique, but it works. Um, but I remember right before I went in the conference room, because obviously I was scared as heck, you know, I was like, who, who am I to talk to these old guys, right? Um, but I remember, I, I, it's like, I put on like this invisible hat, really, like, it's like you put on this persona, like, and it's not fake, because it, I did know what I was talking about. I did know my content, I did know what I was offering, but I wasn't confident in it, like, I was still scared, but it was the first moment I was like, you know what? It was I'm your put version on this... of Sasha Fierce. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring on this chick that you know that I. It's not like me, but I'm, you know, I know what I'm talking about, so I'm gonna be confident and I'm gonna tell them how it is, you know. And I did, and I remember moments where I was standing there, like present in the moment, like, dang, I'm here, I'm talking to them, and they're listening, and they're nodding their head, and they're smiling. Like I could see, like I could step outside and see and be like, this is, this is good. Like I'm getting positive feedback, and that would just fired me up and I just something took over me and I just like own it I you know I belong there in that moment I realized I belong there and I think they did too but I was still scared so then you know I leave the up they're like okay we're gonna talk about it you know and I'm like oh my gosh like what's gonna happen so right? then I, I go like outside um they stay in there for like an hour like you know it wasn't even quick so I'm like waiting waiting then my boss comes out finally but he still doesn't talk to me he goes to his office goes about his day and I'm like 
dying to know what happened. And so finally he calls me in his office and he's like, hey, um, we talked it over and we want to offer you a job. And I was like, okay, cool. Like I was expecting a job, you know, but he's like, we actually don't have anybody taking care of our communications or PR or anything like that. So we want to offer you that position. And in my head, I was like, okay, sure. Like, that's great. You know, I'm like, okay, I have a position. Well, they wanted to make me director of the communications department that didn't exist. So they were technically creating, or I was creating now in charge of creating communications department. You went in as an intern. (laughs) And like, how how long was it from intern to director? The three months or whatever the internship lasted. (laughs) So now I'm in like the director of communications for Gold's Gym, right? (laughs) So now I'm like... I'm just like, oh my god! In, in that moment, I, it didn't even click. I remember he was just like, okay, which pick which office you want. Like everything happened so fast. I was like, okay, I went down. Like I picked like the biggest office. Like all of a sudden, like my office is like bigger than my boss's office, you know. Um, so it was like everything happened so fast. I remember when he told me how much they were gonna pay me because he told me how much. Like in my head, it was a lot. In my head, I was like, what? Like it, I didn't tell him that, but in my head, I was like. Oh my gosh, I've never been paid that much money, you know, so far in my life, right? And I remember, like, looking back, I'm like, I would never advise that to anyone. I would say, always negotiate whatever yeah. they're offering you, always ask for more. But at that time, it just seemed so good, right? Which that was one. I of think the- that's something with everybody for their first mm-hmm. job. I, I, yeah, same with me. First job, you're gonna pay me how much? Yeah, yes, because. Mm-hmm. Any other job you've ever had before is part time yeah. or or minimal yeah. or like you said you were doing odd jobs because yeah. you couldn't actually. So going to that, how did they at this point? You were you still undocumented or had you filed or at like, this what point was I was case? fixing my papers. So at this point I had applied. I was in a process. I didn't know what was going to happen, but at least I was. I had so by the time they hired me, I, at least I had a you know temporary work permit, which okay. was good. So that really helped. But this is like years and years later yeah so I really had to like pay the price and that's something that people don't understand I hate it and it's so ignorant when people say oh they just come here and they get they, you know they get papers and they get all these benefits and they, they use a the government help I could never use a government help as an undocumented immigrant and that is such a lie that people say that they we use the help again I couldn't even get scholarships I couldn't even go to certain schools because of it they check so much less I would have been able to get like social, any social benefits or anything like that. That is such a lie. And it just bothers me when I hear that because as someone that had to pay like a really high price, I think it's so ignorant for people that have never been in that situation that have never even maybe hung out with an immigrant to like speak for us and like make up because either you're making it up or you're really ignorant when you're saying these things. I think also you, your, your mom didn't know, like as far as she knew, and as far yeah. as her and her step, your stepdad knew, you guys were coming here and things yeah. were, you were going to yeah. be able to get yeah. papers. We got and a visa. We came here with a visa. It was hard to even get the visa in the first place, you know? So it's like, we tried. And I think what happens also with a lot of people that maybe it's not that they don't try. People have the misconception that like someone wants to come here illegally. Like, let me tell you, no one wants to come here illegally. Some people, they just don't have the means to come here legally. And because it's kids, very expensive. Exactly. So when your kids are starving... It's not that you want to come here illegally. You just want to come here and feed your kids. And if that's the only way you can do it, because the current the current model that we have for immigration doesn't allow for someone that's in need to come here. It's usually you have to be super, extremely talented, like recognize like a celebrity or something in another country 
or you have to have a lot of money to come and invest half a million dollars or you have to like have a, not even a family member because that's another thing I, I heard recently um i'm not gonna say who but I'm, i don't want to get the political, way thing, the way people are people say like changed. oh they bring all their cousins and their great grandkids whatever it's not true you can only if i'm a citizen which now i am thank god like I can only bring here my dad, for example. I cannot. I can't even bring my brother here. You know, I can't grant that to him uh, because he's already an adult. So I people don't understand that. Yeah, my brother is in Argentina. I couldn't bring him as you know, even though I'm a sponsor US citizen. Him. Yeah, sponsor I can't him. sponsor him. So that's and what happened with my brother actually? It's kind of sweet. He actually, as soon as he turned 18, and he became aware, and he saw my situation because he's younger than me. So he saw me struggle with my first year of college and all that. He saw my situation. And he became aware of what it meant that we didn't have a status or whatever. So he chose to leave because he read, he's extremely smart. He's actually smarter than I am. And he read that like, if you leave while you're still like, you know, not an adult, like you leave by choice as soon as you turn 18, then you're not gonna get punished, you know, for that. So he made the choice, which was super mature at the time, to say, you know what, I'm gonna go back to my country. I don't wanna stay here illegally. Before it was because he was a minor. But, you know, once it, it became his choice, he's like, I'm, I'm going to leave. And it's sad because it was hard on my mom. It was hard on us. Like, we suffer so much. We still miss them. But that was his choice. He turned 18 and he's like, I don't want to stay here without papers, you know. And he went to college over there and, and whatnot. But it was extremely hard for him, too. You know, it's not easy. Like, the things that the things that people are leaving their country for, it's not because, you know, they're leaving for a reason. Because right. they have a struggle over there. So, he he paid a high price and he just like chose that road you know and I, I respect him for it but it was really hard on my family obviously yeah I mean to go through that and that's a lot to go through in a very mm-hmm. short period of time this is between by the time you're what between 14 and 21 <laughs> yeah. that's a lot of stuff yeah. to go through yeah. so by the time you get to gold you know they mm-hmm. offer you yeah. you're already going mm-hmm. through your paperwork mm-hmm. how long did you spend at gold's gym I was there for about, um, I would say, two years or so. And what happened is the chain that I worked for got bought out by an investment firm. And I it was cool because I got to experience that too, being part of the company. And I ended up working for the company. When it got bought out, it got rebranded. So I, I was part of the rebrand of the company, which is huge, which was another big lesson for me, um, building a brand from, from the ground up. And actually, because I knew the reputation challenges that they had in the past, I I was really the person that championed, you know, a program that cared about the brand, that cared about reputation, that cared about, let's not make the same mistakes as before. Let's actually, you know, do things right, take care of our customers. So we, I actually created a program where we retrained, you know, the salespeople. We um, answered the phone differently, like everything changed everything the protocol for the way that we communicated with media so i got to like really like own this project and change the corporate culture which became one of my my babies my projects within the company to work with the corporate culture so now i was getting like all these different experiences and you know this company had lots of locations and expanding to other markets and other states so i started getting a lot of experience now and being exposed at a young age and actually working with, a lot, with all the executives, um, which that in itself was challenging too, being the only woman, Latina, and being young. You know, sometimes it's like when a, it could be three three strikes or right? three, like depending on how you look at it, right? Some people it would gives, see that yeah. as 
wow, we get all this in one person. And some people are like, this is too much for one person, too much in one person. I think they love the work that I was doing, but they also were skeptical at times. You know, at times my age did come up, which shouldn't come up. But at times I would get comments like, oh, well, you're so young or like, oh, it's because you're pretty or, you know, people that didn't know me. You know, I would go in a meeting with like new people and then they didn't know who I was and or like they would assume I was just a secretary or, you know, I'm like I experienced a lot of those things that people assume and or like, why are you here? Like, did you flirt with your boss or whatever it may be, you know, and then got into sexual harassment and like all the things that you hear about in, in like corporate and it's crazy because it happens even in those places like you think that's an issue that happens at a bar working at a bar or something but even within corporate you, you see all those things and it's just it goes back to ignorance I think so I know you had you've talked about it and other things mm-hmm. that you've experienced and witnessed sexual harassment mm-hmm. how did you get to a point where you being so young mm-hmm. where you were like where you either said something or you're having to go or like what was kind of the circumstances surrounding that before you left? So for me, it was my health. Um, I remember that even as hard as moving here was, I didn't experience anxiety as much as I did with when I went through sexual harassment. And it was hard for me because I was the only woman that people would come to. So I would go to visit one of the locations. I would always go and like visit a different field, you know, locations and, and women would come to me thinking that I could help them because they thought, oh, she's up there. Like, she's in the corporate office. Like, she has all this influence. And I did have a lot of influence. But when it came to this harassment, I didn't because it came from the very, very top, from the CEO of the company. So I I had already spoken up about it. Of course, I didn't share that with them. But they didn't know. They would come to me. And I started getting anxiety. I started getting nightmares. I, I didn't know it was anxiety at the time. I, my eyes started twitching like randomly my hands would shake like all these random physical symptoms that are from having a panic attack or anxiety attack and I didn't know what it was and I started getting worse and worse and worse and it started affecting me and even my boss a couple times would be like are you okay like I could be like in the middle of a sentence and I would just like so like I started I just became this other person and when that started happening I was like that's enough like I cannot go through with this I hadn't told my mom I hadn't told anyone I was afraid to tell somebody because I thought they would judge me and this happened during um the me too movement so I would watch the news and I would see women being ridiculed for speaking up and these were like women that were even higher up than me you know they had more influence and they still got ridiculed for it so I felt like if I told somebody they would be like oh what did she do what did she say was it her fault something I was just scared at the time and I I don't think I ever have been as frozen in my life as, as I was in that situation. I wasn't able to speak up for a long time. And I would just have nightmares. I would pray that the guy wasn't in the office, that he'd be out of town again or whatever, you know. Um, he he found out that I, I told HR and then he started picking on me. So that actually made it worse for me. He started mocking me. He would tell me, like, oh, what are you going to do, report it? Like, because he knew he wasn't going to get in trouble. Um, he made a rule, for example, I couldn't close my door. You know, like random things like that. So like I started feeling really disempowered. And that was one of the reasons why I started becoming really passionate about female empowerment. Because I realized that even though we were in the tw- you know, the 20th century or whatever. 21st. 21st century. But I mean like in the 20, what is it? 2018, 2019, all those years. Yeah. Like, no, maybe not because I was in San Diego. But you know what I mean? Like we were like in a decade where you think we're all empowered. And yeah. you think... And the Me Too movement is happening. And here I am, like, 
hello, like we have so many issues here that are not being addressed. And I remember um, my one of my fears is like, well, I'm not going to get another job like this one because I had to work hard and climb my way up in this one. So obviously that's not going to happen everywhere I go, right? Like suddenly you're not going to get promoted like that. And so I had a You're lot of You're not going to go from intern right, to director. Right. Like it takes, yeah, it takes a, spe- a special opportunity, you yeah. know? So I had a lot of excuses, and I call them excuses because that's what they are, because ultimately you're going to be who you're going to be, you know, and as long as you stay true to yourself, you're going to do well. And so at that time, I decided my health was more important, and I remember I told myself one time, and I think that was the shift. I told myself, even if I have to go work at McDonald's, which I don't even eat McDonald's, I will quit this job. And when I made that decision, everything else started lining up, and an opportunity in San Diego, which was my dream city to live in, um, popped up, you know, and I, I just took it. I put in my two weeks' notice. I went to Aruba because I had already planned a trip to Aruba. So one of my last two weeks was going to Aruba. <laughs> um, I booked nice. an apartment from there. Yeah, and like I left and I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know anybody here, but I just knew that my health came first, that I was not going to become this crazy person or stale person because, you know, somebody else, like somebody else didn't deserve to control my life. Right. So I think that was like the, the breaking point for me. And I remember I told my mom, I was so scared to tell her and I finally told her and she was so gracious. Like she started crying and she's like, you know, like leave, like you don't need to be there. Like, even if you have to just come and be with us and like, whatever happens, like we're going to support you, you know? So I had a lot of support once I spoke up and I think sometimes we are scared that we're either going to disappoint someone that they're going to blame us. But I think it's so important for us to speak up and to choose us, to choose yourself, choose to, you know, choose your health, choose your well-being over whatever people are going to say or think, or even if they did judge me, I got judged so much being there um, before I left, even from the women in the company, they would look at me like I betrayed the company. Like, Oh, we gave you all this and you betrayed us. Uh, I actually, till this day, sometimes like, you know, if I think about it, I get annoyed because I'm like, that man never served justice. Like he never paid for what he did. But and I remember they hired, they literally hired every single law firm in the state of Utah. So how can someone like me fight, even if I wanted to somehow fight it? You know, they were technically they had hired every law firm. I, they couldn't work with me. They couldn't even talk to me. So this is like, you know, we're talking about like a, a ridiculous case, which happens all the time. We see it in the news. We see it everywhere. It's like, well, they had to sign a confidentiality agreement or they had this or they had these lawyers. They protect themselves. They know exactly what they're doing. And they protect themselves. Well, I mean, a lot, it could be said that HR is, you know, human resources, HR is not really there to protect the employees. It's there no. to protect the company. Even though it's quote unquote there to protect the employee, it really isn't, you know, yeah. they're going to protect the company and the, the, the woman that was there live. The woman that was there literally said that, that I never recorded it, that, you know, that it was a comp- uh, conversation or all these lies and it's okay because ultimately like i said before every single thing that i went through in life has led me to who i am and i I don't think i would have ever become this passionate about being an activist or speaking up on empowerment or for women's rights if i hadn't gone through that experience so now you are the head of kind of multiple entities (laughs) you have fem latinas the fem podcast the femex podcast femgency and femex quarters So you move to California, like, okay, you get this opportunity to come to San Diego, which I don't blame you. Yeah. It's where I grew up and I had to come back as soon as possible. 
how did that start? And you and your mom basically started Fem Latinas mm-hmm, together, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I know you were saying you were talking about all of this stuff in regards to sexual harassment yeah. just made you realize that women needed to be empowered, that we needed to step into the strength that we have. So how did that re- actually start? Yeah, so my, so my mom grew up in an abusive home. So she grew up with abuse. I witnessed it. I would, she got abused even as a grown-up person, like a grown-up person. Her brother still abused her because they did it all her life. Her father, then my stepdad, you know, he when we moved to the U.S., he became really violent. I think he went through his own anxiety and depression and whatnot, and, like, his outlet was to, like, hit my mom. So we, you know, that was another thing that I experienced as an immigrant, like being scared to call the police because I thought I would get in trouble. So we actually witnessed a lot of violence. He doesn't do that anymore. But, you know, um, she had got through all that her entire life. I, I went through a sexual harassment. We were really, really passionate about, dang, like women, we first of all need to be more informed because she realized like oh, th- there were laws to protect me. Like we could have even gotten like a visa for being her being abused you know so Mm -hmm. like there are so many opportunities that sometimes you don't know because you're ignorant you just don't know you just don't know what you don't know and so information is valuable also connections like knowing the right people that can advise you what to do and so we we one time after I moved here I remember I started trying to find a place here to connect with someone because I didn't have any friends. And I went to networking events and it was just like, oh, here's my car. Let me try to sell you this or that. You know, like there were no genuine connections at the time that I found like any groups or anything like that. I remember I went back to Utah to visit my mom on her birthday and we were talking about everything that happened. We were talking about the lack of connection and the lack of information and all these things. And I remember it just she's my mom is like look we've talked about this so many times like why don't we do something why don't we create something and I was like yeah let's do it and we started coming up with ideas like let's do events let's create resources instead of complaining about the issues that we have nowadays let's create solutions for those right if we don't know how to ask for a raise let's have an event about that if we don't know how to start a business let's have an event about that like let's create opportunity for women to learn and become connected with each other and get resources and so what happened is as we were still talking, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to like, I'm just going to do it. And I remember I literally cl- closed my eyes. My mom had gone to the kitchen to make us more tea. And I closed my eyes and the name just came to me. I swear, like an image, like Femme Latinas, like that just came to me. And I was like, what's Femme stand for? And it just came to me. It was like female empowerment movement. And so in that moment, I was like, okay, well, if this is available, it's going to be creepy, you know? So I remember I Googled it. It was available. It was available. The domain, the social media handles, which is really rare to find both. Right. Um. So I just knew it was meant to be. So by the time my mom got back, I'm like, Mom, I already have the domain. I already have the social media. Like she was like, What? <laughs> um, She's so- like, I just went to go get tea. What the heck happened? <laughs> right. And so that you know that was like the moment, the pivotal moment. And then I came back here and we did our first meeting. And one thing led to another. And it's funny because my mom's calling me right now, but she never calls me at night. So that's really weird that we're talking about it. But, um, but yeah, you know, like we, we just went for it and I did it and I started, we started attracting a lot of female entrepreneurs, even though we created this for every, every woman. Um, but then I started seeing the needs of the female entrepreneur and I was an entrepreneur myself at the time as a consultant. So I, you know, I was at a co-working space and I was like, okay, I don't, I don't find the connections here that I want, you know. But you were fine. You saw something very specific at the co-working space you were working at. What was? Mm-hmm. The, tell us what you saw. 
Like oh. when you were at those co-working spaces. Well, I mean, I, I it's just like different, right? Like it's it's corporate, right? It's um, I didn't feel the community, the sense of community. I felt like it was a lot of you know guys and like guys that are doing other things that I couldn't relate to. Like they're on engineers, you know, they work for a company in Germany or whatever, and they're just like remote workers. Or I just couldn't find that connection you know and so I started feeling like okay we really need this community that we had created as friend Latinas like and we were doing all these events and it was amazing I didn't find that in the co-working spaces I didn't find that community I didn't find that sense of belonging and so I started feeling like I want to create a space like that you know and I want to create a space where all these friends that I have and myself we could host our events and people and we have the space because it was really hard to find space. Like you couldn't really do the events at those co-working space either. So we, every time we had an event, we had to look for a venue and it was hard and it was pricey. And so I think I wanted a combination of both. Uh, something that, because all my friends really, including yourself, like we're hosting events. We're not just entrepreneurs that sit in front of a laptop. You know, we actually need a space and we actually need community and connection and real friends. And so that's what I wanted to create. And little by little, that dream started growing and I, and I started seeing the need. And that's how Family Exporters came about. Um, and I also had the podcast. And so I'm like, the podcast at the time was only in Spanish. And that was amazing because a lot of people, even older women, started listening to it. Like their daughters that followed me would show their moms and then they started liking it. So it was really cool. But then I started getting women saying, okay, but why didn't you do it in English? Like, we were in English. <laughs> or like even Latinas that are amazing, but they don't feel comfortable speaking Spanish, you know, for like... Like me? Yeah. So I mean, my Spanish is okay, but I don't feel comfortable doing a full interview I, in Spanish. And I get that, you know, and so that's why, like, I was like, okay, it's going to be bilingual, you know. So after a year, we made a bilingual and it's just been a transition, but I think like every single little thing I went through in life taught me something, even the frozen fish, you know? <laughs> and so I, I think like one of the, the things I always tell people is like, you, we have to learn to embrace and be grateful for the things that happen to us because they don't happen to us. They happen for us, you know, and the people that That's hurt true. us, even they're teachers, right? Like this man literally drove me to my purpose. You know, it's like if I was at the time, okay. I was resentful of him and I had to get over it. I had to get over it. I actually you can't hold on to stuff like that no. because ultimately, like people talk about forgiveness, right? Mm -hmm. And forgiveness is never really about the other person. It's about yourself yes. being yes. able to be at peace with it and yeah. let it go. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't, it's just going to stay inside yeah. you and eat you alive. And you're giving them more power. Right. It's like, imagine this guy that I'm never going to see again if he still had a hold on me and my emotions. Like, he doesn't deserve that. Ultimately, whoever hurt you, they don't deserve your attention, your emotions, your crying. And I remember I got a letter. It took, like, years. So, like, this is literally, like, last year. Like, years after the whole case and everything happened in Utah. I got a letter with the resolution, right? And of course, the company wasn't found guilty. You know, of course, the company would came out winning or whatever. And I remember, even though I had been over it, when I read the letter, I cried. Yes, I did. I cried. And I didn't really share this because it didn't last long. But I did cry because I was like, you know what? This is, this is like unfair. Like, God, you know, this is true. Because I think one of the things that sucks the most about when like someone has victimized you or hurt you it's like where, when, you know, it looks like they didn't and they, especially a company, someone that has money or whatever it is. And now you're like, you know, this person that no one believes you or whatever it is. But in my head, I was like, 
I had to let go. And I remember I was about to go to the gym and I always listened to a random motivational video. And the random motivational video for that morning wasn't so random. The guy was talking about something really unfair that happened to him and how he had to let it go. And it totally spoke to me. So here I am at the gym working out and like my, my tears are rolling down my cheeks, you know, and I'm like, that's right. I'm letting go. And I'm like pumping iron and I'm like crying, you know, and I'm like smiling. Like, and it was crazy. And then I went to the sauna and like I literally sat there and I was like, I'm letting go of this. You know, I forgive this man. Like I'm really like 100%. And I know that I'm better off. I'm better off for it. Like, this served me. I would have not known. I always knew growing up that I was going to do something big. I always knew I was going to help people somehow. I always knew that I wanted a business or some way to help people. I didn't know how that was going to show up in my life for me. And this guy and everything that happened led me to become passionate about things that are part of my purpose. You know, so I, I, I was like, you know what, what if it hadn't happened? Like, cause that's what I had to think about. Okay. Let's pretend that this never happened. I would still be working for somebody else's dream in a different company. I would still be doing a mediocre life, you know? Yeah, sure. I make good money, whatever. But it's like, I didn't feel like fulfilled by purpose, which is the best feeling in the world. And so I actually had to thank this man and the opportunity and everything that happened. And so I think this, like I said, happened recently, really like the end of 2019. And I didn't even tell people because I just got over it. You know, I just took a a YouTube video and like a little pump session to like get over it. But for the people that have been hurt, for the people that have been abused, for the people that have experienced even harder situations that I have, just remember that whatever it is that you went through, it's for you. It's going to serve you if you learn to be grateful. And if you just let go of it, do not give those people any more control over your life. Don't let them, you know, dictate how you're going to feel, how you're going to show up to this world. They don't deserve that. So I just, I really, I think that's so important for us to know and, and truly believe it. I, I agree with you. And I'm, it, it, it hits me in a very certain way because Um, I haven't talked about this on the podcast yet, but I am a survivor of sexual Mm -hmm. assault and I did have to let that go. And there's certain things that are triggering and, Mm -hmm. and I'll get into that in another time, but it was, I had to forgive that person because I couldn't let, I couldn't hold on to that. Mm -hmm. So I totally agree with you in that, um, kind of pivoting back to Femex quarters. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's just a lot. I mean, yeah. there, there's so much to be able to unpack there. Mm-hmm. I mean, this could easily yeah. be a two, three <laughs> yes. hour podcast, but we won't let it be that long. No, I promise. No. You know, you just opened mm-hmm. in November of 2019, mm-hmm. right before Thanksgiving. Yes. <laughs> what is your dream for Femex quarters? My dream is to take this place everywhere. My dream is that everybody will have access to it. My dream is to create a place that's really diverse and inclusive, um, where everybody feels welcome, everybody feels safe, uh, and people can make real connections. That you can meet people that are like you, that look like you, that sound like you, whatever that is like, you know? Mm-hmm. And I want it to be everywhere. So we're actually opening up opportunities soon once we're ready for um, franchising. Because if someone in New York or someone in Mexico or someone anywhere, really today we got someone that may be in Turkey, um, wants to open a space like this, we want them to have the resources to do it and obviously the support of our brand behind it. But that's like part of the dream is to really take it everywhere because 
now that this place exists, I, I see it every day, Jess, you have to, I, even today, I was like one on the verge of like crying like three different <laughs> times, because, you know, for example, someone comes in and says, Oh, my gosh, I've been touring co working spaces. And like, it felt heavy. And I come in here, and it feels great. The energy feels great. And that's something you can't fake. That's something you can't create as a corporation, you know, we work or other companies, they can't say, Oh, let's create a strategic plan to create this feel that when people go in, they feel this energy. Like you can't yeah, fake that. That's something that happens organically. And it happens because of the people that you have, the people create community, the people create the culture. And that's something I learned in corporate, like corporate culture is not created by someone coming up with a plan. It's, it's the people that are part of it. And so I think I'm really protective of the energy and like the people that we surround ourselves with. The people were very intentional about the people that we bring in. And I think just everybody's so amazing. Everybody's so positive, so loving, so supportive that really when they thank me, I'm like, I thank you because you are part of that. You're creating that synergy and that, you know, ambience and the love and everything that happens in there. And like today I was just like crying because I heard it three times by three different people, three different times. And it was like, oh my gosh, like I love to hear that story because that's why we exist. And I don't think I could have planned that even if I wanted to, you know, I had the vision for it, but now to be able to see it happening before my eyes, like, it's just, I cannot explain the feeling that I get. Like, I just get really moved and I just hope that it continues to grow, that we continue to expand and that other people can experience this everywhere. And, and that we have an accessible space that people that want to host events or, or get a co-working space, like they don't have to break the bank, especially when you're starting out. So that's one of the goals that we had to to be accessible, you know, to work with all levels of, you know, entrepreneurship. Even if you're starting out, you can afford to be part of this space and you yeah. can belong and you don't have to feel like, oh, I have to only if I make a certain amount of money, I can be there. You know, so yeah. we're very intentional about that, too. Um, and it's been incredible, to be honest. It's been great. And you've been, I mean, you're hosting your event tomorrow there, <laughs> your launch. So I'm really excited about that. But. I'm excited too. I know we've talked about this, but what do you wish you would have known when you started out? There were so many things, but I think one of the things is like the money aspect of it. I think as women, we tend to be really conservative. So when I was looking for money and putting together my budget, I was, I was super conservative. Like, oh, I can do this. I can do that. Like, And I did. Everything was grassroots. Like, I decorated the space. I picked the furniture. I didn't have a designer. I didn't have an architect. You know, like, I had to, like, get really creative. But I think I underestimated the cost and the amount of money that I was going to need. And I think that's something that's very common with women. And even if we have a big investor, it's like, okay, how much money do you need? Like, let me write you a check. Like, we don't know how much money to ask for. So whatever it is that you think you need, at least multiply it by three because you always need more money. And I'm not saying that in a way of like, oh, you know, just be, you know, like reckless with money. Like, no, like you really do. There are so many little challenges that I had in the beginning because I only got so much money. And what happened is, once the money was gone, which was gone a lot faster than I thought, because I thought I could do everything myself, but then I couldn't, right? Of course. And so what happened is like, then I had to get really creative and it worked out and I made it work, but it was hard. And so it's better if you are funded, you know, if you're well-funded, if you, if you have the opportunity to ask for money and someone that wants to write you a check, make sure you ask for the right amount. Make sure you're realistic about how much money you need. And realistic doesn't mean conservative. Realistic means it takes a lot to run a business, especially a brick and mortar business. So it's almost better to overestimate, overestimate exactly, than exactly. underestimate. Because if you overestimate, you can always 
you know, put that money back in the business. You can always give it back, whatever it may be. If it was loan, whatever, you can just make extra payments if you have extra money, which rarely that will happen. <laughs> but, you know, you can't, once you have got the money, which is really hard to get money in the first place, it's really hard. You can't backtrack on that. Like, so thank God that the community has been supportive and we've grown and, and we have, you know, we've got, every month is getting better and better. So that's great, you know, but... I would recommend for people to always overestimate how much money you need, especially if you're a woman, because women, we tend to be really conservative and we tend to think that we can do it all. What are you curious about right now? Curious. Can you expand on that question? What are you like? I, I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, like what's that kind of next thing for you right now? It doesn't necessarily need to pertain to your business. It could be like, I wonder how the election is going to turn out. I wonder, but I mean, oh, just as, no, we won't talk about the election. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I mean, just in general, like what kind of piques your curiosity in regards to keeping you up and keeping you thinking to the future? I've always been really curious. So that's, that's why I'm like, wait, um, I'm curious about everything, but I think I'm curious yeah. about the future of what we're creating because as much as like people want to call it a co-working space or an event space or whatever, I believe that we created something different. It has some of those elements, but we are a movement. And I really, I'm really curious about what the next thing will be for us, like how we're going to grow, how we're going to expand, you know, what's going to happen, because I know that we don't fit in that box of, oh, we're just a co-working space. Like, I know that, you know, we're more than that. We're a community, we're a family, you know, we're a movement, we are passionate, we're diverse. And so I'm really curious about that. And I'm also curious more about travel. Like I, there's a lot of places that I haven't been yet and I'm a traveler at heart. I've always been a, a wanderer. I love exploring. And so there's like Asia, I haven't been to Asia yet. There's a lot of places that I want to go to. And this year specifically, now that my business is getting a little more stable, um, you know, the co-working space, like I want to, I'm really curious about like, okay, where do I want to go this year? You know, what do I want to explore? Because I do want to get out more. I think that keeps me sane. That's why I went to Aruba probably when I was, you know, I, I've been <laughs> different places because that does help me recharge and it helps me be more creative and it helps me connect with myself. So I'm, I don't know where I'm going this year. I'm also going on a tour, on a speaking tour so that I'm curious about like, I, I have some of the cities, but I just really, I'm curious about everything because everything, <laughs> everything is evolving every day and I get right. opportunities and I meet new people and it's just, yeah, that's, that's a, a broad question for me. <laughs> okay, so then tell me, what is something that you've failed at? Ooh, I, that's hard to answer because I don't believe in failure. I but it doesn't lessons. necessarily, it doesn't need yeah. to be failure where you're, it could be a lesson that you've learned. Like yeah. Where did, let me put, let me change the question mm-hmm. then. Where's a time where you've, you've fallen on your face, mm-hmm. figuratively speaking, mm-hmm. but it, you got back up, dusted yourself off, and it's made you better I think honestly I think I when I started doing this whole thing moving to San Diego you know I think I could have done a lot of things better I came from a corporate background where like I had the money for example to save and I didn't you know so then what happened is I was an entrepreneur in San Diego which is really expensive and there were many times where I was broke and I remember thinking like why didn't I say, why didn't, like, I had all this opportunity to do so. I had a stable paycheck for a long time, you know, so I would think uh, there were times where I started using my credit cards. I started using, I had to cash out on my 401k, you know, I had to do these things because starting a business was hard when I first moved. 
and I was broke. And so I remember, I guess that was one of the times when I was like, dang, Jess, like you could have done so much better and you could be better with money. And, you know, like I, at the time, like I was buying a house or I was like buying shoes, like I just wasn't um, mindful. I never even checked my bank account, you know, like I didn't. And I remember I even got opportunities, like a, a financial advisor or someone would tell me that, I'd be like, whatever, you know. What a difference so, of when you're making like that steady paycheck mm-hmm. or, and making good money where you mm-hmm. feel like you don't have to, versus like, oh crap, mm-hmm. I have $5 left in you my bank account. <laughs> right, you have to care now. So I think that was one of the biggest things is like the value of money. And, and to me, also, I always grew up thinking like, oh, I don't want to be greedy, right? So we think being a giving person, like not being greedy is like, you just like giving, giving, giving. Like I was always like that. And I think I have become more mindful. And I'm still, I know I'm a giving person, but I realized that I had the wrong idea of what being giving and generous was, right? So you have to be, you can be generous and still be mindful of your resources. And it's not just money, it's your time, your energy, even like your mental energy, your mental space. Like, who are you giving that to? And I used to be a person that not just with money, but with my time, my mental space, my emotions, I was giving away too much to the wrong things. And I think that's something that I've slowly learned. And it's it's still like a process for me where like I have to realize, am I giving this person or this situation too much mental space? Am I giving this thing that's not worth it too much time? You know, so I think that's one of the things that I'm still learning. And now I can manage it consciously if I'm aware of it. But it's still like I always had that tendency. So I think it's really important to be really mindful of your resources. And that includes everything, not just money. That was the last of the hard questions. (laughs) How do you feel? I love your questions. I actually, I feel like I shared a lot of things that I've never shared just because they've never come up before. And I've done a lot of interviews. So I'm really grateful that you were able to like get those things. I almost, some things I almost forgot, you know, like they were in the back of my mind, but I'm really glad that you have asked those deep questions. I love it. Good, I'm glad. <laughs> so let's come to the final questions. Okay. The easy questions, okay. the fun questions. What is your favorite word? Oh gosh. I, I know I have so many, but I think love because I think love. And I don't want to be like idealistic, but I think love really does cover all bases of things. And you're in the midst of it. You're yeah. engaged, so and you're yeah. In the midst but it's not just romantic love. It's love for your business, love for yourself. So, yeah, like love, love for yourself. is powerful. Yes. What is a dream that scares you? A dream that scares me. I think it's surprisingly it's like i'm really fierce when it comes to business i see myself speaking internationally i'm not scared to get on stages i think creating a family sometimes scares me yeah and it's really crazy but when i talk about marriage and like i just got engaged and we talk about the date and picking the date and i think that sometimes scares me and i realized that recently like why like why am i delaying it because if it was up to my fiance would have been married like a year or two ago you know <laughs> but i think it's because i have seen so much brokenness in in growing up and other families and i think like i've always wanted to have this perfect family you know like oh like the one day when i have a family it has to be perfect and my kids can't suffer and like i don't want any suffering and i think that sometimes it scares me to know that you can't control certain things yeah. and like what if i do bring kids and like something comes up or whatever like i think that's probably something that kind of scares me <laughs> yeah i get that i get that a lot what is your go-to order at your favorite restaurant what is your favorite oh, restaurant? So What's your favorite? Okay, let's just say in San Diego. Sushi. Uh, it's definitely my favorite food. Uh, what kind of sushi? I always get, 
I always get for sure, even before I look at anyone's menu, the one thing I always order as soon as I sit down, because I'm usually really hungry and I sit down, <laughs> before I even order a drink, I'm always like salmon nigiri. Like I always know I want that, like no matter what. So I'm always sitting down. Okay, can I get a salmon nigiri? First thing, right? <laughs> so, you haven't even sat down there pulling yeah. out of your chair. Can I get a salmon nigiri? And it's funny because sometimes they're like, well, can I take your, your drink order first? And I'm like, no, I'm not ready for that because I haven't looked at your drink menu. But I know if you're a sushi restaurant, you have 70 gears. So that's the one thing I always order. And then finally, of course, we have to end with this. Wine, red, white, or rosé. Red, Malbec, which you hit the jackpot with your Malbec choice. I love it. It's a really good Malbec, too. So that really matters. So thank you. Well, thank you, Jesse. Salud. Thank Besos. you for coming on. Saludos, guys. It was a pleasure speaking with Jesse. Like I stated in the intro, this interview was conducted prior to social distancing, so I wanted to make sure you were aware of a couple of things. Currently, the brick and mortar of Femex Quarters is closed, but they are offering free co-working hours to anyone across the country to help with goal setting, productivity, and accountability on Mondays, and guest speakers to motivate and educate every Wednesday. Both of those sessions are from 9.30 a.m. to 10.30 a.m., so please make sure to go to femexquarters.com and register. You can also follow Jessie on her various Instagram accounts at Jessie Medina Official, at Femex Quarters, at Femex Podcast, at Fem Latinas, and at Femgency. Do you have a story that needs to be told or know someone who does? Then I know, you know, I want to hear that story. Please reach out to me via my social media channels, Instagram at The Wine and Chisme. If you go to the link in my bio, you can see the application to become a guest. And on Facebook, The Wine and Chisme Podcast, because I want to hear your story. Thank you so much for supporting the Wine and Chisme podcast. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Chisme, please subscribe, rate, and review. Rating and reviews are always appreciated, and those rave reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, mi gente, saludos.